Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. On today's Friday Christians of History episode, it's a very special one. We are extremely pleased and excited to welcome Dr. Gavin Ortland to take the reins for today's Christian of History. Dr. Ortland is senior pastor at First Baptist Church in oh, First Baptist Church, Ojai in Ojai, California, host of the Truth Unites YouTube channel, and the author of multiple books, including Theological Retrieval for Evangelicals, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, Retrieving Augustine's Doctrine of Creation, as well as others. Um, he is also something of an Anselm scholar, which is why we didn't want to botch the, the biography and background of Anselm uh, when we had access to an expert. Um, so without further ado, let's get into today's Christians of History episode on St. Anselm of Canterbury. Um, Dr. Gavin Ortland, thank you for joining us and thank you for, for taking the time to sort of share your wisdom and knowledge about, about this saint with us. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Lucas, before we jump in, uh, or I should say Gavin and Lucas, we, we've, we've taken, uh, you know, so ahead of time, we sent you an outlined list of, of questions so that you wouldn't be caught off guard. Uh, but we do like to begin all of our interviews with a, a little bit of being caught off guard by just doing some quick rapid fire questions to help get to know our guests, uh, understand their interests and so forth. So uh, we're just going to hit you with a couple of these. So if you could, Gavin, what is your favorite food? Oh, man, this should be easy. <laughs> uh, pr probably pizza. Okay. All right. Uh, what is the best part or your favorite part about being a pastor? Mm. I think when you genuinely have a sense that you've met a need for someone or you've really helped someone, it's truly a, a gratifying feeling. Hmm. Um, this one might be, maybe we already know the answer, but who is your favorite church father? Oh man, there's so many, but I think uh, Saint Augustine, famous as he is, is tough to to rival just because of the the spiritual and the theological depth of his writings. All right, uh, what is the best part about living in California? Mm. Well, there are some challenging parts, such as the cost and and many other things. Um, I think we just absolutely love the mountains and mm. and the ocean. So just the simple things of, of being we're about probably about a five minute walk from the hiking trails and about a one minute drive so here in Ohio it's just really easy to you know within a few minutes you can just be uh sort of lost up in the mountains so uh I I really enjoy being able to be outside so much very cool and then last but not least if you could only listen to one band or musician for the rest of your life who would it be mm. it would probably be my favorite uh, sort of contemporary band is Dave Matthews Band, and I've probably got about 500 CDs of theirs because <laughs> I've been <laughs> collecting them, which is a little over the top. But um, if, if to answer this question, it would actually be the contemporary composer, Max Richter, just because I find it for background music when I'm studying, I just never get tired of him. So he's, he's a favorite. There we go. Awesome. 
Well, thank you for uh, letting us catch you off guard a little bit. We, we like to, to just kind of do that for fun. So uh, we'll, we'll get into the, uh, the official interview now. Um, so let's, let's start with Anselm's early life. What, what can you tell us about where Anselm was, was born, um, when and where, uh, family life, education, stuff of that nature? Okay, so I'll do a quick overview, and then if we want to drill in further here, we can. But cool. um, his dates are 1033 to 1109. Uh, we don't know a ton about his younger years. He was born in northern Italy, a little town called Aosta. And he had some kind of quarrel with his father when he was younger, late teen, early 20s. And so he left home and crossed the Alps and landed in France in a little town called Beck and basically became a monk. And he stayed there for several decades and kind of rose in the ranks and eventually became the abbot of that monastery. And then uh, in, I think, gosh, somewhere around 1053, somewhere, or sorry, 1093, somewhere towards the end of the 11th century there, uh, became the Archbishop of Canterbury. So he ended up in England and then died in 1109. So um, yeah, we're thinking, you know, medieval, very medieval. Uh, he most of his life spent in a monastery, uh, which influences his theology and his writings pretty profoundly. So he's kind of a fascinating person from a different world. So that's a little overview there. I'm curious. Um, the you mentioned the monastery at Beck is where he kind of spent most of his life. Can you tell us a little more about um, what either what life was like in in general in medieval monasteries or you know I know perhaps it's it's due to Anselm being there I feel like um the monastery at Beck is is a name I've, I've heard before specifically so like what what would life have that huge chunk of his life what would that have been like on a day-to-day -day basis for him yeah, I remember being fascinated by this and kind of doing a deep dive on what was the daily routine of monks. And it was very regimented and very structured and very disciplined. Um, and I've sort of forgotten the, all of the, the details. But some of the things that, that I remember standing out to me, uh, one would just be the discipline and the work ethic. It, it wasn't as though because you're not out, you know, doing some some job that makes money as an individual person, that therefore you're not working hard. And uh, they would get up very early, and they're doing lots of things like gardening and things like that, which is kind of interesting. Um, a huge amount of time was devoted to uh, scripture and prayer. So they would read through the Psalms uh, once every week. That's in the rule of St. Benedict. Uh, they would have, you know, set times in the day for prayer. Um, and another thing that was a huge part of his life was just friendship with the other monks. And uh, some of his earliest books came out of these theological discussions that he would have with the other monks. And so I picture it in my mind, you know, after dinner, there's no TV, <laughs> there's not really any other sort of entertainment. So all the monks kind of gather and just talk theology and, uh, be, you know, people were asking questions of what, here's what we believe. Why does it make sense? And some of his earliest books kind of came out of those conversations and you can see, uh, I think we'll talk maybe later about this, but how high a view of friendship he has. That's actually been the most surprising thing of all the things where the medieval world is different from the model, uh, the modern world. That is the one that surprised me the most of how high and elevated his view of friendship was, that this is a spiritual thing. Friendship is spiritual. 
Um, so uh, that does influence his theology a lot. And it was a huge part of his life day by day. Yeah, I'm a little fascinated by the life of a monk just in general. I can't imagine what it's like to to have that be the, I mean, especially like you said, in in a in a context that doesn't have you know TV and and other such things. But uh, I, I did want to jump back something that piqued my interest a little bit. You mentioned that in his life, when he had that little you know issue with his father, you said that he traversed the Alps. Like so, would he as just a young man? I mean, would that have been like that? Just sounds treacherous. Like that sounds like a. Uh, is there anything we know about that deeper or is it just the fact that it happened? I don't have a lot of knowledge of Anselm's particular journey. And I don't think we have, a, anyone has a lot of knowledge of his life in those early years. Hmm. So, you know, if you read a biography, like Richard Southern has a really good biography of Anselm. It doesn't, there's just not a lot of source material about that early phase, but I do think we can say safely that travel in the world at that time was much more dangerous. Hmm. And so, yeah, it is fascinating to wonder what that would have been like. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so as we, <laughs> yeah, as we move on in his life, uh, can you highlight some of his, his major works? I mean, so I think as we'll get into, uh, we didn't mention, but we're doing like a two-part episode with you. We're doing the, uh, the Anselm Christian of history here today. And then uh, next Tuesday, we're going to have an episode on Anselm's pursuit of joy, uh, the commentary on the proslogion. Um, so we, that's, that's obviously probably his, his biggest work, but is there, what, what other works could you uh, mention from his life? Yeah, sure. So one of the big ones that's uh, not as known today, but was hugely influential in his own lifetime. Um, Anselm was initially famous, not just for being a theologian, but for his role as a spiritual director. And so his prayers and meditations were hugely influential for, um, for during his life and soon after his life. Um, two of the important early works would be what are called monologian and proslogian, and they're sort of uh, companion works in a sense, and that's where we'll talk about more. The proslogian is maybe his most famous work that uh, contains his famous uh, proof of God's existence, sometimes called an ontological argument, and that's where I've done a lot of work. Um, another really important book of his is called Why the God-Man, and that's a book about the atonement, and that would be probably after the argument for God's existence, that's probably the area that he's famous for uh, as well, his work on what's sometimes called a satisfaction view of the atonement. Um, and then he wrote a number of other things, uh, various theological works, various philosophical works, and then various devotional works. And his letters are also fascinating, and you get a window into his world from reading his letters as well. How many or how how... How much of his corpus is, has been translated into English? I think just about everything. There are some um, sort of fragments from his oral teaching that, uh, well, I take that back. Even those have actually been translated now. So uh, yeah, there's there's good scholarship on Anselm and there's a critical edition of his works in the Latin. And then there's a fair amount of secondary literature on him as well. So yeah, people could... There's a couple of good editions. Uh, There's one that's called, I think it's called Anselm Basic Writings, and it's put up by Hackett uh, Press. And I think it's probably like 2005 publication or something like that. It's a blue paperback book. That's a great one. It has the, uh, those are the translations that I often recommend. Um, there's an earlier collection that was put up by Oxford University Press that I think the translations aren't quite as good in that one. And so I often recommend that Hackett version, and that's got, you know, maybe 13 or 10, 10, 10, 11 
books of his, something like that in it. And so that's a great addition people can get if they're wanting to dive in. It's got pretty much the major things that he wrote. Mm, nice. Very cool. Well, are there, are there any other like fun facts about Anselm, little known facts, things that might be surprising to, to people to hear? Um, I just was thinking about this and I wasn't able to come up with anything super interesting. I think people would be interested to know what a genuinely uh, kind of devout and reverent person he was. I mean, if you read his prayers, you definitely get this sense. Um, so we mentioned his deep view of friendship. And in addition to that, I would just say his general piety. Um, you know, sometimes as modern people, we can look back at the medieval ages and find some things very stern and very harsh. And I think people will find some aspects of Anselm's thought and, and life like that. But as I've spent a lot of time reading him, I think I would just say there's a humanity to him. And there's a, I would say, a humility in his writings that is um, just hard to avoid as, as you're getting to know him through the various things he wrote. So gosh, I'm sorry. I don't have anything super no, interesting except good. just to say if people read Anselm, I think they'll find him not just to be this really heady thinker, but they'll find him to be a very human, uh, relatable figure as well. Hmm. No, I mean, that's really good to know. Yeah. I mean, with, with, especially the, the big people from church history, it's, it, it can sometimes seem like we put them on this, other pedestal they're almost otherworldly but to, to hear that they're you know down to earth and um, human it, it's uh, reassuring and it is I think it is really interesting too from like my own experience going to bible college and then seminary and continuing in seminary again like um, my exposure to him has been in the context of my theology classes not my um, devotional life or or anything like that um which obviously is, it, it makes sense and it's a good thing, but um, it's definitely one-sided. You know, I, we'll talk about more on Tuesday, um, the, the more in-depth some of this stuff when we talk about Anselm's pursuit of joy, but, but getting exposed to some of that, um, just becoming more aware of, like you mentioned, the prayers and meditations and that comes up in your book. And I, I hadn't even really known any of that. Um, so just kind of seeing the, like we're saying, he's not, he's not, just this technical abstract kind of like scholarly figure, but that is itself rooted in a deep, a deep uh, faith and, and piety, I think is um, definitely interesting. And I think maybe even uh, an interesting commentary on our own age as well, in some ways, in terms of how we approach these things and see them as distinct when maybe they're not always quite so separate or, or at least shouldn't be. <laughs> Well, any, any other questions here as we, as we wrap up talking about Anselm's life? Not for me. I don't think so. I think that that was uh, an extremely helpful and, and good introduction and um, definitely, um, and it, it, you know, come back on Tuesday. We're going to dive a little deeper into one of his works in particular that I think will, will, will speak a lot to the things that, that were mentioned today. So um, thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast. And you can also reach us by email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, future episode ideas, um, thoughts you had. You know, have you ever read any Anselm? Are you going to read some Anselm? Um, 
You can also please check out Truth Unites on YouTube to find more content from, from Dr. Ortland that is, that is out there and accessible and covers, if you haven't checked it out, a wide range of, of super interesting and helpful topics. So um, do, do check him out further. And once again, come back on Tuesday. Um, we'll, we'll talk, talk more about Anselm. But until then, we'll see you.